What is up and welcome into episode two of Stitch by Stitch, hosted by me, Greg Rhodes. We're here to talk Tampa Bay Rays baseball and all things involved. And last week was the All-Star break, and if you want to hear a deeper breakdown of the Rays players that made up that team, make sure to load up episode one. But I did want to revisit that quickly and discuss some of those players' roles and results from the game. And I want to start with the MVP of at least the Rays players in that game, Mike Zanino. Outside of hitting an oppo shot in the sixth, giving the AL a 5-1 lead, he took over behind the plate in the bottom of the fifth and managed the pen for the American League. He gave up a run on a passed ball in the bottom of the sixth. And not to make any excuses, but I do get it. He's catching a lot of guys that he's maybe even never met before, much less caught for. But on a pass ball in the bottom of the ninth, he made the smoothest play of the night. A pass ball that careens off the backstop right back to him, and a perfect throw nails the runner trying to take second. Just a great visual to see, and if you haven't seen the play, I highly recommend a Google search. Now the other two guys in the game, Joey Wendell and Andrew Kittredge, didn't play as key of roles, but they still contributed. Wendell came on as a defensive replacement in the bottom of the seventh. The same inning Kittredge came in as the reliever, and both looked good almost immediately. Kittredge pitched a three straight ground ball outs while hitting 97 on the gun consistently, with the second out coming on a shot by Chris Taylor of the Dodgers to who else but Joey Wendell at third. Kittredge pitched just the one inning, but of nine pitchers for the American League that night, he was only one of three to not give up a hit. And Wendell stayed in through the end of the game, making a few more plays at third and showing a strong glove, but he got up to the plate just one time in the top of the eighth and he made the most of it, with a nice little inside-out poke to center field for a single. And let's not forget about Kevin Cash, who, for an all-star game, managed a fine game and led the American League to their eighth straight win. All in all, I would give the Rays' performance about a B, None of the players started the game, but they played important late-inning roles and contributed to help preserving an early American League lead. A great job by them, and I hope to see the success that brought them to that game carry over into the second half. And speaking of the second half, that's what's going to be the focus of this week's podcast, where first we're going to talk about the last week in Rays baseball post the All-Star break, including some big roster moves. Later, we're also going to discuss some news coming out of Major League Baseball about restricting the shift possibly. We'll talk about that proposal and dive deeper into how the Rays really changed how the shift was utilized across the league and how it's affected the game, both the good and the bad. So let's jump into it. And what a week to recap. We'll be running this all the way back to just after the All-Star break in the Braves series, all the way up to just this Friday and that Cleveland series. And we'll start with the biggest news from the week, with the Rays completing a four-player trade to bring in All-Star Nelson Cruz from the Minnesota Twins. Now, Cruz comes in batting 293 on the season, which is better than any player on the Rays so far this year. And while we talked about how the Rays are usually a bit more analytically inclined, having a good batting average isn't a bad thing either. Cruz brings consistency to this lineup that struggles with that, going through stretches of hot and cold. And with the Twins in a rebuilding mode, the Rays were able to acquire the All-Star for two prospects, Joe Ryan and Drew Stotman. Both pitchers in the Rays' farm system, Ryan and Stotman, may see time on the Twins' Major League roster before the end of the season. But watch for Ryan to be representing Team USA at this summer's Olympics, as he was one of the two Rays, the other being Shane Boz, on the Olympic roster. This is a move by a team that is looking to win now, and after a World Series run last year, that should be the mindset. I love the aggressiveness of this move, and I doubt it will be the last addition for this team before the deadline. Now, another move by the Rays this week was to move starter Rich Hill to the Mets for injured starter Ryan Wheeler and a prospect in Matt Dyer. And while Wheeler could find a spot in the bullpen later this season, this was really about Hill falling out of favor in the rotation. 
The Mets lacked depth in their rotation due to injuries, and Hill will slot right in while staying on a playoff-bound team. Look for the Rays to continue with the youth movement in that rotation and a possible promotion of Shane Boz, who, as I mentioned, will be at the Olympics in Tokyo. And with Chris Archer slated to return by the end of the month, and there's still that hope for Tyler Glasnow, the Rays look to have an arm to spare. And now on to the games, and there have been some good ones. The Rays came out of the All-Star break, a game and a half behind the Red Sox for first place in the AL East. And as of me posting this, they only gained a half a game on them this week. But that doesn't mean they haven't played well. Starting with the Braves series, winning two out of three, but getting shut out 9-0 in that second game. Some clutch hitting by Austin Meadows, which will be a recurring theme in this week's recap. In the top of the 10th, saved the first game of the series for them. And a seventh inning rally punctuated by a two-run shot by Yandy Diaz put away the third game of this road series. Coming back home, the Rays had a three-game stint against the last-placed Orioles, and while they are in last place and had lost their first six games to the Rays this season, it's still a divisional matchup, and the Orioles made sure the Rays knew that in Game 1, the Rays taking a 6-1 loss. But after that, we saw the return of maybe playoff Randy and hopefully a hot streak he's able to carry throughout the second half. In the next two games, Randy Arozarena went 5-for-9 with three homers, bringing his season total to 13 what really looked like a series where he felt 100% comfortable at the plate finally. And I told you, clutch hitting by Meadows would be a theme. He hit a two-run walk-off single in the bottom of the ninth in the third game of the series. And I can't move on from this series without mentioning the great job YouTube did with hosting the first broadcast of an all-female announcing crew. The play-by-play, the interviews, they were fantastic. And while the overall broadcast contained a lot of storylines, so does every other national broadcast and the women on the crew did a fantastic job. I've known plenty of women who know a hell of a lot more about sports than I do, who would have never thought they could have even had an opportunity to do something like that. And I hope that it opens more avenues for women in sports going forward. But as the Rays move on to a series in Cleveland, another storyline appeared while the Rays were in town. A name change. And in my opinion, a long overdue name change. And while it may not be the best logo, the name Guardians and how it actually ties to the city and its history gets the buy-in from me. And while many of us have grown to love the Indians across the country, largely due to the success of the Major League movies, who doesn't love those movies, there's no denying that the racist and offensive caricature that was Chief Wahoo had worn out its welcome, and I'm happy to see Cleveland move on from it. But back to the ball field, where the Rays have kept it rolling, winning the first two games of a four-game series with another extra innings game where, you guessed it, Austin Meadows gets another game-winning hit with an RBI single in the top of the 10th. The next night, the Rays raced out to an early 4-0 lead, highlighted by a solo shot in the third by the newly acquired Nelson Cruz in his first game as a Ray. G-Man Choi added another three-run blast in the top of the ninth to put the game out of reach at 10-5. So in short, what a wild week. And it's only going to get wilder as we get closer to that trade deadline, and the playoff picture starts to clear up a little bit. The Rays have a lot of young pitching right now, and I expect to move for a more established quality arm to join the rotation soon, but as we all know with the Rays, there's always a half eye towards this season and an eye and a half to the future, so don't expect a move that sacrifices the future payroll flexibility and mobility of this roster. And while we did just talk a lot about the Rays' offense and the pitching staff, their defense is still key to how this team operates. And one of the biggest parts of how this team's defense has ranked so highly over the last decade has a lot to do with how they've utilized the shift. But how did they really get to this point of extreme shifts? And does it even actually work? And what does Major League Baseball think about it? Are they going to do anything to stop it? 
Let's talk about it. And so starting this 2021 season, and as in seasons past, Major League Baseball enacted a few experimental rules in the minor leagues. Dispersed through the minor league levels where new rules like larger bases at the AAA level, a new step-off rule for pickoff plays in high A ball, and the use of robot umps through all of low A ball. But the rule change that really has a lot of people talking, including Commissioner Rob Manfred at the All-Star Game, was the idea of restricting the infield shift. Currently, there's no restriction on shifting fielders in Major League Baseball, and it's led to some very, say, interesting field alignments for some teams. And no team has used this to their advantage more than the Rays. As the rule's been enacted in A ball, the defensive team must have a minimum of four players on the infield, each of whom must have both feet completely in front of the outer boundary of the infield dirt. Now, this still allows for the team to move infielders around the infield with no restrictions, but seeing a second baseman playing more as a fourth outfielder wouldn't be allowed. Currently, the Major League rule only specifies that all fielders, except of course the catcher, must start the play in fair territory, allowing for any kind of player movement they want before the pitch. And for the second half of the minor league season, there has been some discussion to add even more restrictions, requiring two players on either side of second base before the pitch, while maintaining the outside boundary rule. And it's not too hard to look at these proposed rule changes and think it's almost aimed directly at the Tampa Bay Rays. And honestly, you'd be right. While the shift, defined as three or more infielders moved to one side or the other of second base, has been in the game since the beginning, it wasn't until 2010 when the Rays used the shift in at the time crazy 221 times that it really started taking off in the league. And even then, it wasn't until around 2016 that what was viewed as a small market fad really took off. Starting in 2016, the percentage of at-bats a team would implement the shift across the entire league was only at 13.7%, with the Rays doing it 1,519 times that season. And they weren't even first, finishing second behind the Astros that year. From that, we go to 2019, the last full Major League Baseball season. The league percentage has skyrocketed to 25.5% of all at-bats, the defense is in a shift. That season, the Rays were only fourth in the league with 2,255 shifts, and the Dodgers were the ones leading the way with 2,975. As recently as 2011, there was only a total of roughly 1,900 shifts across the entire league. And not to mention, if we break it down to just left-handed batters, the percentage is off the charts. At this point in 2021, more than half of all left-handed at-bats have been against the shift. And in the early 2010s, the shift had its detractors thinking it would be a fad, that it wasn't that effective, and that it would fall out of favor. But Major League Baseball teams don't do things that don't work. And the shift, it works. And the stats back that up. Using Fangraph's DEF, or Defensive Runs Above Average, remember we used that for justifying Mike Zanino's all-star selection, we see a trend. Defense, in general, has been better since the shift really took off. Since 2005, the top seven seasons league-wide using this metric have been since 2012. But what do all these numbers really mean? Well, I'll go back to what Rob Manfred said at this year's All-Star Game. Quote, The game evolves, right? What we play today doesn't look all that much like 1971, and the question is, which version would you like to get to? That's the way I think about it. End quote. And I 100% agree with him. The shift has hurt the way we are able to watch and enjoy the game. Baseball used to be the sport you could look easily over the decades and compare the numbers because the game remained largely unchanged. 
By allowing these extreme shifts to continue, you lose that. And you lose a lot of the activity of the game. Instead of a base hit in the hole or a chopper into right field, it's an easy grounder or a fly ball to a second baseman playing in shallow right. I remember watching guys like Luis Castillo or even Ichiro with slap hits through the right side of the infield, using their speed and making for exciting plays on the base paths. That's lost right now. Or guys like Big Poppy, David Ortiz, not only hitting home runs, but getting hard singles to right late in the game. That's lost right now. And while I'm all for strategy, I would rather it not come at the expense of bastardizing the game. And trust me, I've enjoyed the success that the shift has brought to this small market team more than anyone. But I'm also just a fan of the game overall. And what the shift does just doesn't look like baseball to me. And I do honestly think it's taken some of the fun and the excitement out of the game. Reducing the use of the shift might not speed up the game, but I think it would inject some speed back into the game. Remember to keep an eye out for next week's episode where I'll recap that week of games and get you all caught up on the trade deadline action. I'll also take a deeper look at the Rays Stadium deal and maybe some potential locations. The obvious and maybe the not so obvious for relocation. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And thanks again for listening to Stitch by Stitch.